Hi everybody, I'm Walden Hugh, and hello Patricia. Hello Walden, we are back, and it's Tuesday night. We are pre-recording on May 15th, so you cannot call in with questions, which disappoints me, but <laughs> guess who we have tonight? We are going to be talking with Karen Johnson, who is director of the Charles M. Schultz uh, Museum and Research Center. And I am just so excited that I can get to talk with you. Everybody in our family knows how much I love Snoopy. So this oh, is my just goodness. Cool. Oh, oh, you have no idea. I did a newsletter when I was in administration. I did a newsletter every week for our staff, and I put a little Snoopy up in the right-hand corner. I'm not, ki- I'm not kidding. I'm, you know, I really am yeah, a Snoopy fan. That's yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's one of the joys for us is not only are we responsible for telling the legacy of this artist, but the attention and the love that his characters have provided for so many people for so many years. It's, it's very gratifying to hear those stories over and over again. So, When did the story start? With him? You mean yes. when he was born? He was he was uh-huh. born in nineteen in Saint Paul, Minnesota in nineteen twenty two and uh he was an only child and he loved cartooning from the time he could remember. He always wanted to be a cartoonist. He was a very good athlete and he would tell you there was one summer where he thought he might want to be a professional golfer and he was caddying, but that's that quickly went away and he went back to his drawing. So he was a young man that was determined to be a cartoonist all his life. Uh, as, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. That's fine. Uh, yeah. uh, did he have an influence in his life? That's such an unusual, uh, it, it's an unusual profession to look forward to for a child. Well, I think when you think about the the way we describe it, in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, the funny papers, as they were called then, were really our cultural common denominator, common denominator, pardon me, Mm -hmm. that, you know, people were waiting to see what was going to happen in Prince Valiant. What's going to happen with Dick Tracy this time? What's going to happen with, um, you know, gosh, one of the World War II ones? So the whole world waited for the Sunday funny papers, and, you know, everybody that you met in the 20s and 30s, very much like in the 60s or 70s, people wanted to be rock stars, people wanted to be cartoonists, because they were the communicators of culture at that time, the light culture. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a phenomenon of his time as well. And he would tell you he was influenced by all of those, you know, uh, Crazy Cat and Prince Valiant and all of those people who drew. And the Phantom and Smitty and... Yes. Yes, yes, very much, gosh. very much. We've, we've dug up some old cartoons as well. Uh, yeah, and they're pages. beautiful, and they were full pages. I mean, the action that would go on sometimes in Prince Valiant or even in the Dick Tracy days, I mean, pretty remarkable stuff. And mm-hmm. all the way back to the yellow kid when Hearst started putting cartoons in. So. Wow. Yep. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, hold on. <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, um, God bless. I picked up from the website Mm -hmm. that he had his first cartoon published in Ripley's Believe It or Not. He did have it, and it's it's just the best thing. His childhood dog, Spike, who he adored and is kind of the inspiration, one of the inspirations for Snoopy. Uh, that Spike was a funny dog. He drank Coca-Cola and, you know, he, he ate tacks and he could, as Sparky would say, he knew 10 or 15 words and he adored that dog. And so we have recently had an oral history with Shermie, who was his best friend, who is still alive at 99, telling us they grew up together, they played baseball together, they, you know, they were each other's best friend for their whole life. And 
and he was telling the story how when they were young, 14 or 15, you know, Ripley's was a big one panel that really was another influential thing in the world, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to enter something. I want to enter, some, enter, I want to enter something. And Shermie finally, finally said to him, just write something. Just send something in. You'll never know. And he wrote about his dog, Spike. And that, that's his first publication. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Or his first drawing in little statements. Yes. He's about 14. Yes. 14 or 15. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, neat. Tell me about your interest in Schultz and Peanuts. Well, I think I'm a pretty typical person in that I'm in my early 70s now, and in 1964 and 60, you know, from the 60s on, the Peanuts was a way of defining your culture. You know, I was one of those people who was madly in love with a little red-headed girl because I happened to be a little red-headed girl, and I was always cutting out the cartoon saying, see, 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 he's, and, you know, everybody's like, yeah, Karen, we get it. But also beyond that is I, I would cut those, you know, little panels out of uh, the four panels for the daily and put them on my refrigerator. I had an old shoebox that had all of my Peanuts' favorite cartoon dailies in them. It was a phenomenon in our family and something that I used to define myself with my friends. So I really was right there in the middle of it. That, that is amazing. I'm, I'm just so delighted to hear that, that you actually grew up with Snoopy and Peanuts. And... Oh, well, yes, and I have in my office. I brought it in, and I was showing Mrs. Schultz. I was a camp counselor in, uh, I don't know, the 60s, and I brought in my book that I have all where my notes are, and there's an old, worn-out post, you know, little uh, five-by-seven card that has Linus saying, you know, there's nothing more more burdensome than potential. And I have the original Happiness is Warm, probably first edition that all the, you know, my friends used to buy each other. They're all in my office that my friends uh, gave to me and I gave to them. So, yes, I am a true blue Peanuts person. A true blue. Before we get into the characters of Peanuts, could you tell me the evolution of the museum and research center, and then we'll hop on to Charles Schultz and Snoopy. Right. Well, when, you know, uh, Jeannie, Mrs. Schultz, his wife, and his friend Ed Anderson, and a gentleman named Mark Cohen, who were cartoon historians, as he, you know, got older and was starting to think to retire, they said, we really want to build a museum. We we think, you, you know, you are an American icon. And he really, truly was shy. He's like, no, I don't want a museum. I don't want another, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, and I think you'll understand it, because Japan was their, you know, was a very big, I don't want another Snoopy town where there's people writing on, you know, Snoopies and this and that. He said, no, I'm, I'm just not interested in it. And, you know, it's like when the publishers asked him if they, he wanted Peanuts to continue after he died, he said, no, once I'm gone, it's gone, because it's mine. I drew it every day for 50 years, yeah. which I was wonderful. So when they start, started saying, no, 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 it's not about the characters. It's about you. It's about art. It's about your biography. And as I say to people, you're going to meet Snoopy along the way. You're going to meet Lucy. You're going to meet Sherman. I mean, you're going to meet Linus. You're going to meet Schroeder and, and, and Sally. But you're going to meet them through the biography of Charles Schultz, the artist. And that's what we are. And Jeannie was committed to building it. And he finally said, yes, let's, that, that makes sense to me. And unfortunately, he was probably only alive five or six months uh, into the beginning of the development, and he never saw the, the you know ground being broken. But he did approve it based on the idea that oh, it would be an artistic thing and related to cartooning as art mm-hmm. and him as an artist. Did you know or meet Charles Schultz? 
Yes, yes. I knew him uh, probably for about 13 years. Jean, his wife, Jean Schultz, and I worked in the nonprofit world together. She was on the boards. I was directing some of the nonprofits she was involved in. And he created an event for the nonprofit that I was directing at that time called the Sweetheart Ball. And we had it at his ice arena. So, yes, I knew him. I was very fortunate. When you sat in a social situation with him and with Mm -hmm. his wife, Jean, Mm -hmm. what, what kinds of things did he talk about what kinds of conversations did he have with friends? Well, I mean, I was not a close friend, so I don't want to misrepresent. I'll tell you what, because we would have thank you lunches with him, and, you know, we would be at dinner parties with him and stuff occasionally. Um, the most, the thing I tell people the most were his manners. I loved his manners. He had impeccable manners. And that is such an important thing to think about. And it wasn't, you know, overbearing. It was just he was always polite. And I really respected that. He was terribly, terribly dry in his sense of humor. He never talked a lot. He wasn't the most talkative person in the room. But the one thing that Jeannie and I often talk about was at one dinner party one night, there was about nine or ten people, and we had time to talk about all types of different topics from, you know, what's going on in the city, what's real estate, you know, who's growing tomatoes this summer, all very vague things. And at one point someone made a comment, and I still can't remember what it was, but he made a comment back that was like two or three words or two or three phrases, and I went, oh, my gosh, there's his genius. I saw it. I could see his thinking that created that whole world that we adore. And I couldn't remember what it was, but I thought, oh, I just saw it. Because he could succinctly take a conversation or a comment and make it funny or make a point, and you'd go, oh. So that's the thing I remember the most. And I wish I knew exactly how to define how I saw it, because instinctively I went, oh, my goodness, there it is. There I it got is. to see what he does when he sits down at the drawing table with his, with his characters. So when, when he said Snoopy and the Peanuts gang were part of who he is or was, right. Right. he was really part of them. Right, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, the melding was, was 100%. They were each other, yeah. yeah. How many of the characters reflected parts of his personality? Oh, people would always ask him that, are you the characters? And he goes, well, yeah, I bet I have a little bit of uh, every character in me. You know, Snoopy is that fantasy side of me. And Lucy, yes, can I be a curmudgeon sometimes? Yes, I can be a curmudgeon. You know, am I a dreamer? Am I shy like Linus? He said, yeah, he would say that of various elements. He wouldn't say one was more than another. But he said, yeah, probably there's elements of me in all of them. Wow. Did he talk to you about the genesis of things, genesis of, um, mm-hmm. am I saying that word correctly? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I understand. The beginning, yes. the beginning of right. Lucy as the psychiatrist. That is just one of the treasures of that. that well, it comes collection. from a, it's a wonderful way to think about him. It comes from a very practical part of him. You know, we, we, you know, as Jeannie and I often laugh and talk about, and we are as guilty of it as the next person, and Sparky would just say it's just a, you know, we pontificate about the philosophy and what it meant and the depth and the humor and, oh, my God, the things he knew and the way he framed things, and he would say, it's just a comic strip. I'm just trying to put one out every day. So that goes directly back to the psychiatric booth. You know, it was the summer. Every little family had lemonade stands. Well, he wanted to do something that was different. That's where it came from. Unreal. Unreal. Isn't that great? That's how he yes. created that whole storyline. When do you know when the psychiatrist character came about? I'm, you know, I am. I'm, Lucy? 
you know, I am the wrong person to talk to, and I'm kind of embarrassed. I can tell you about our budget numbers and what our insurance costs are, but <laughs> the curator, have yeah, the curator yeah. and the archivist are the ones who know the detail on that. I really don't know. I, I, I don't want to even be disrespectful and say oh, it had to be the early 60s. I'm not sure. But I do know why, because yes. he was trying. He saw the lemonade stands, and he goes, huh, I wonder what I could do, and uh, created the booth. That is really great. Isn't now, that great? You were, you were growing up, you said the little red-headed girl or the red-haired girl. I guess the right. red-headed girl, um, it's, that's the way I remember the description. Right. She appealed to you so much. What about her and the characters around that particular figure made you smile so much? Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm a little 13-year-old with red hair and freckles, and, you know, they're never the pretties, you know, the cuties. And the fact that this most famous cartoon character on any particular Sunday during the day is sitting on a little, you know, a bench in the middle of the lunch area saying, I wish the little red-headed girl would come and talk to me. I remember the first time going, oh, that's so wonderful. It was that simple. <laughs> And, you know, he was in love with a woman named Donna Wall, who was a redhead. So that comes from his life as well. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and she turned him down. He asked her to marry him, and she said no. So that he continued to, you know, play that vein out in his life, too. Oh, my gosh. Now, I'm I'm watching people go. Oh, that's fine. (laughs) Let me ask this. Ken, why do you think we Americans love their character so much. Have you figured out why we love them so much? You know, I think we all see ourselves in them. I cannot tell you how many times during a day my brother was Linus. He always had a blanket. Or, I mean, Snoopy. Everybody can say, my dog was like that. My cat was like that. You know what? Every dog I had was like that. I think we see ourselves. I I think it's that simplistic and that universal. I just think it is. And I think the man had an ability on philosophy that made you laugh. One of the strips, and I'm not going to represent it right, but it's Linus and Charlie Brown uh, leaning on the wall, and they're both kind of talking philosophy. And Linus is, and Charlie Brown, they're talking, you know, how are you, Charlie Brown? Oh, I'm not so great today. Well, what's going on? I don't know. And so what's going on in life? Oh, I'm not sure. And Linus says something like, you know, they say the world is a stage, Charlie Brown, and everybody has a place. And the last panel is is Charles Schultz's twist on that. And he says, I must have missed a couple dress rehearsals. I love that. Because I thought, oh, my God, how many times have we all asked ourselves, who are we, where do we belong in life? And he twists it to, I must have missed a couple dress rehearsals. And I think it's the simplicity but the humor of our humanity. It's, I think it, that's what it is. Simplicity was one of the words I was going to use because yeah. the, the presentation of such intricate, interesting, and touching yes. humor was yes. so simple. He yep. made it so simple. Why do yep. we, as adults, make everything so complicated? Right, and that's and like I said, that genius and that twist to take something that you would think, why wouldn't I say something like dress rehearsal? That's brilliant, but that's genius. Those are the people who pick out parts that we, you would assume are everyday, are common, and they're not. There's a way to present them that creates the chuckle and the aha moment at the same time. So that's what I think Peanuts is about. Aha and a chuckle. Aha. Yeah, uh-huh. right, uh-huh. right, right. And I just said that, aha. Uh-huh. And I, right. boy, do I know that. And I love the psychiatrist. That's probably one of my favorite shticks. And yep, yep. And five cents, please. 
And oh, that yes. comes straight from the lemonade stand. Five cents, please. <laughs> yes. Ten cents, yes. please. Yeah. Uh, the five cents, I, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wouldn't <laughs> it would be wonderful, yeah. Say, Could you help me for five cents? Right, great. right. Uh, I, from the website, I'm, some mm-hmm. of this is just staggering to me. Right. We'll get to the to the animated series right. in just a minute. But he put out 17,897 yep. peanuts strips. Yes, sir. Yes, he and did. This was a man. Them, yeah, 2,500 were the big Sundays. Sundays, yeah. This was a man who was a journeyman. He came to work every day. And this is the great thing about him. He was came to work, went to his you know, ice arena, had some coffee in the morning, a little you know, uh, English muffin, go back to work, sit at the desk all day, draw, talk to his cartoon friends, had interviews, whatever it was, finish for the day, he'd go home. That's what he wanted to do, and he did it, and he loved every day. And he had a family in there as well. Yeah, he had a family, and, I mean, he and Joyce had their – he had his uh, five children with Joyce, and then they split up in the middle of their life, and people think it's salacious. There's nothing – I mean, it's not salacious. You know, it was a midlife correction. Joyce found a man that she spent the rest of her life with, and, mm-hmm. you know, and he and Jeannie would still be married today. So they both found each other's loves for the second part of their lives. Really mm-hmm. quite wonderful. Now you mentioned cartoon friends. Who uh-huh. was he friends with in the cartoon industry? Well, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, that's funny you say that to me, because um, I'm trying to think, I, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I can't remember the names. I mean, he had, the thing I will tell you, he mentored a lot of young cartoonists, like Patrick McDonald from Mutz will tell you that he mentored him. Kathy, who did Kathy, she, he was close to her, and she, he mentored her. Lynn Johnston, you know, for better or for worse, he was really close to her. He was close to, to um Rob Armstrong, the first kind of one of the first young black hip cartoonists. He was close to Maury Turner, who was the first black cartoonist who got his We Folks in the paper. So he he was always there to be with people. Very, very interesting. And the gentleman who does uh, Pearls Before Swine, which is quite cynical but is probably one of the most popular strips in the world, was a young man who lived in this area. He was a lawyer, and he came into the ice arena one day some 25 years ago and said to him, Mr. Schultz, could I talk to you and show you my cartoons? So he, you know, and Stefan Stefan ended up working in his studio for a period of time and now is this, you know, world-famous cartoonist himself. So I would say, you know, those were the people that he surrounded himself. Kathy and Lynn were very important to him. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. That's interesting to me that he was so open to so yep. many people, especially ones who were trying to cultivate a name for themselves in the industry, and he was so shy at the same time. You know, he was, absolutely. I think he, you know, but I would say to you that he did grow into his fame somewhat. You know, he got it, but he didn't ever flaunt it because all he wanted to be was a cartoonist. And, you know, he he loved talking about cartoons. It's like this is my favorite thing to do. And he would talk to young people about, oh, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Or keep trying, keep working on it. That's when he was happiest. Well, I'm awfully happy that he was there and did so many yeah, things. Yeah, I know. Walden, every time there's an event like Christmas, Walden sends me one of the volumes. Right. 
that are in print. So I have a collection of Snoopy, <clears throat> which is just such a joy for me. Right. Uh, and they're up there on, on the shelf with all their special wrapping. Oh, great. To protect great. Them. But, you know, just plucking one off the shelf mm-hmm. and letting the pages fall open themselves. Each right. Each panel in and of itself is an entire story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So joyful. So joyful. Yep. Well, and I would say when we were talking about his friends, Lee Mendelssohn and Bill Melendez were his good friends. You know, uh-huh. those are the three gentlemen that created most of the all of the great animation, you know, yeah. films and stuff. So those were really his peers and colleagues that he really, really, really liked the most and were, had fun working with. And really had common interests, apparently. Common interests, yeah, very much so. Yes. Forty-five. This just blew me away one night when, oh gosh, you remember Walden? It was at least a year ago. I looked up and said, "You're not going to believe how many television specials there were." Yeah, I know. Because yeah, I know. Right. Ten. ten. Yeah. And, 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 and all, as a kid, I bought all the records out at Kmart. I mean, right. it was, uh, and I still have these things 40 some odd years later. I mean, I love, I mean, yep. the, the Christmas story was a simple way to get the Christian message over. It, it, right. It, it's just a wonderful thing. Well, and once again, I take it back to him being authentic. Authentic is so important in life. When Lee Mendelson, the story of how the Charlie Brown Christmas came about is Lee Mendelson was out there, you know, selling, selling, selling and doing everything. And the Coca-Cola executives called him and said, you know, we'd like to see if you could do a Christmas special. And he said, okay, I'll call Sparky. That's the name he went by. And he said he called Sparky, and he tells the story to this day. He's an older, he's quite older now, but he, he's still got the, that zest. And he goes, he called him, he says, Sparky, I think I sold a uh, Christmas special to Coca-Cola. And he said, well, what is that? He goes, I don't know, we're going to write it this weekend. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, you better get up here and better call Bill and get Bill up there. So we have pictures of these wonderful three young men. Uh, probably in their late 30s or 40s, you know, writing the Christmas special. And he made very clear that he wanted it to be, that it had to have children's voices. It had to be in the snow because that's how he grew up. It had to have unique music. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. And it had to have that passage of Linus giving his speech because that's how he grew up in the Midwest. Christmas started at the church when that particular passage was read by a child. And he wasn't making a statement, it's the only way to think about Christmas, but it's what his Christmas was. And, you know, he didn't judge it if you didn't like it or he did, but that's what Christmas was in St. Paul for him. And then the music, Lee Mendelssohn was, you know, kind of working back and forth in his brain, you know, unique music, unique music, where am I going to find it? He lived in Palo Alto, so he would leave and come over. He said he was coming over the the Golden Gate Bridge, and he heard um, Giraldi, Vince Giraldi, who at that time, you know, was cast your fate to the winds, and, and he said, oh, my God, he's a jazz pianist, I'm going to call him. And that's how it started. They brought in Vince Guaraldi to do the soundtrack, and uh, and Sparky said, it's got to have kids' voices, it's got to have that particular uh, message from the Bible, and it's got to have snow. <laughs> Isn't that great? Hold them all together, yeah. All yeah. Together. Tell Karen how many times we hear the Snoopy soundtracks at Christmas time. I, yeah. 
I put, well, I'm on Mukon every night of the week, so I stick it in there almost every night of the week. What can I say? That's Pro-Con. lovely. Yeah. Oh, you guys, that's great. Yeah. That's Several great. Times. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. We really are Snoopy fans. Actually, Charles Schultz fans. Well, you know what? It's it's okay. We don't care. We'll take it either way and we can get it. It's just that we want people to learn more about the artists when they come to the museum. And their love of Snoopy, who draws them in, we love that. We absolutely love it. Indeed. Do you know how... Um, in, during the evolution of the cartoon, mm-hmm. the characters evolved, even their, their uh, mm-hmm. figures changed. And, mm-hmm. and they did. More and more polished the, the longer mm-hmm. the, it went. Is there a stage within that, those numbers mm-hmm. of years, is there a stage that Charles sat back and, or Sparky sat back and said, this is it, this is what the kids are supposed to be doing? No, I, I can't say to you that I have ever heard a, del- a a definite or a delineating statement. He would tell you, and we do have this thing called the Morphing Snoopy, which has the picture of Spike is the drawing of Spike in Ripley's, and how Snoopy went from being a little puppy that people are like, what? He was on all fours? And, you know, he was obedient to Charles, you know, to Charlie Brown for the first year until he took it on. And then, like, all the way I describe it to people, like, when you talk to writers and people ask, how did you write those characters? They will say to you, that character came off the table. It just it it said, "I'm here. This is going to be my storyline." So Sparky would say that people would say to him, "Well, how did he learn to happy dance?" He goes, "I don't know. He just stood up one day and he took mm-hmm. off, and that gave him a bigger, you know, way to have a bigger story." How did he get on the doghouse? I don't know. He just got on the doghouse, and that allowed him to then have this relationship with a bird sitting on top of the doghouse. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's, I think most artists would say it was a natural evolution of these things evolving on their own. And then they did change over the years just because you go from being, I don't 28, to being in your late 70s and your drawing is different. So I think it was a natural evolution for him that he would never say, oh, I stopped here and I I delineated here. It was just the evolution of the characters through his mind and what they pronounced, and then he would start changing it. Yeah. It's like Woodstock. He would say, people want to know how Woodstock evolved. Well, he wanted Snoopy to hang around with some birds, so he drew some birds, and they were all in clusters for a while, and that was kind of a funny thing. And then he would say, because we were talking about this last week, and then one day, one bird just kind of got up front, and then his hair was a little wilder. And then all of a sudden, it's 1969, and all you hear about is Woodstock, and he said, so I named the bird Woodstock, and he became his friend. (laughs) And That's as simple as it was. Yes. Yes, and I love that. I wondered about the name yeah, yeah. Woodstock and whether or not it had an attachment to the New he, York. Event. Well, once again, he was so practical. He goes, yes, it was named after Woodstock. It was 1969. Woodstock was every other word, you know. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, right. it was. And Snoopy right. is the only one who can understand Woodstock. I know, but they're such good friends. It just they is are. working out for him. <laughs> they are. It's just so cute with the little dots and the little... Yep, a little chirp, 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 chirp. Yes, the chirp, chirp lines. Yep, the chirp, chirp lines. Yep. Indeed. You talked about the music a bit Mm -hmm. ago, and there has been more than one person involved in creating the music for the specials, Mm -hmm. and I assume for the four movies as well. Is that correct? Yes, off and on, and I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you, I don't really know the detail of all of that, Mm -hmm. other than Vince Guaraldi and, um, you know, then what NBC created. But yes, yes, there have been many, many, many groups of people involved. And yet the sound never deviates. The music does, of course, but the the wah-wah for the the adults 
and the jazz feel to it all the way through. Um, there's, there's just something, it, it's more like a continuum than going from person to person. It is a continuum because I think, once again, he was very clear there are certain elements that are functionally part of the design that never changes. You know, the different music, the children's voices, uh, you don't hear the adults. And then, as, as I said, in relationship to Christmas, it had to have snow and it had to have that particular passage. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I would like to know more about the museum. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. got <laughs> classes and camps, youth groups, right. birthday parties, and right. group tours. Tell me about what, if I showed up at your door, mm-hmm. what am I going to see in the museum? Well, it's a gorgeous museum, and it's huge. For us, it's a big, it's about 33,000 square feet. And it is built on the environment where Mr. Schultz lived and worked. The, his ice arena that he built, his beloved ice arena that he built in 69, is across the street. His big gift shop that he eventually built when there were so many people wanting, you know, gifts and products and stuff, it's called the Snoopy Gifting Gallery. That's also across the street on the other side of the ice arena. And then across from us in a big field, his actual studio is in the back. So the first thing to know is the museum was built on the property that he loved. And all day long, this is the property that he walked. He'd walk back and forth from the studio to the ice arena to the gift shop. So it's here where he worked for 35 years when he lived in Santa Rosa, California. And the most important thing, as I said to you at the beginning of the interview, our intention is to tell the story of Charles Schultz, the artist. And Mrs. Schultz was very clear that she wanted it to be a warm and intimate environment, as if they were walking into their living room, so it's not a, you know, 100,000 square foot thing. And that we are telling the story of how he influenced the world and how the world influenced him. And in our one main gallery that changes every six months, we've done everything from, a, you know, Snoopy and NASA when Apollo 10 was the dress rehearsal to the moon, and they named the capsule, you know, uh, Snoopy, and they named the module. I mean, the module was Charlie Brown, and Snoopy was a capsule. We had Gene Cernan, we had Tom Stafford come and talk about how much that cultural part meant to us. When Title IX, when we talked about how that changed for women in sports, a lot of people didn't know that he was invested in that and that he helped Billie Jean King and Peggy Fleming and a lot of women athletes. When um, when we were dealing with uh, Beethoven and Schroeder, we did a whole thing, a beautiful exhibit on uh, Beethoven and Schroeder and Schultz's Schroeder uh, as it related to the Beethoven Society. So that's been fabulous. Um, we are right now have up something called uh, Mud Pies and Jelly Beans. I know that was part of me, Mud Pies and Jelly Beans. That was the story of food and peanuts and Mr. Schultz likes and Snoopy's love of chocolate chip cookies and you don't eat coconut. And right now we have up what we call My Favorite Peanuts, which is where the family is talking about their favorite peanuts, his children and Jeannie. And then there's another back gallery, which Jeannie calls the heart of the gallery, the museum for her, because she wanted the museum built so people could actually see his art. And what people don't know is the daily strips are, you know, like, I don't know, about four and a half inches by 18 inches. And he draws big. And not just this little, you know, one inch by four inch, which is yeah. in the newspaper. So in the back gallery, it's our strip rotation gallery that every three months, because it's paper, we pull it out and we have themes to it. Right now, it's the language of peanuts, and so you're going to see the ah and the yelling and this and that, which, you know, 
comes out and good grief and all of those and then upstairs we have an archives which is the archives and research center that she built which is really kind of wonderful because normally museums will just have an art collection which is the strips but she knew that the corporate side of his life and his personal life and all those artifacts were all going to add to any exhibit we put together so that's where, as I said, you scholars who are writing about the influence of cartooning, how he influenced the culture, or how much the gospel was involved in this or that, people will come and do research in their PhDs, and then people who are writing books for commercial things will come and do research. Then we have an education room where children can come in with their parents on the weekends and draw and do the zoetropes. And then upstairs also is the biographical gallery that's, that's permanent, where you can see the story of the boy from St. Paul, and how he loved to golf and how he loved to, um, you know, play ice hockey since he could walk and the fact that he wanted to be a cartoonist and his dad was a barber and his mom loved her only child. We talk about his World War II years. And then there's a back gallery that we call our, it's just our little gallery upstairs where we augment things. Like when we had the presidential election, it was called Mr. Schultz Goes to Washington, and it was all the correspondence that he has had with presidents, both Republican and Democratic, throughout his career. So upstairs in the small gallery, we put Snoopy Presents the White House Dogs. And so we had all the story of all the dogs that have lived in the White House. And, and it's very poignant for me, being now in my 70s, that when you know we got to have Fala's, Roosevelt's dog's collar, and I mean, my grandmother used to talk about Fala all the time, and I thought, oh my goodness, here we are with Fala's collar and Roosevelt's uh, tags for Fala. So you get a really warm story about Schultz, how he influenced the world. You get to see his art. You get to see other anecdotal things as they relate to um you know, the history and sociology. It's the 50th year of Franklin, the creation of Franklin. Very important. People of color will tell you it was the first time they saw themselves in a comic strip. And we just finished showing that. So you're going to get humor. You're going to get a real appreciation of him and who he was as a man. And then seeing the art, which is fabulous. It is. I'm not, that's a, that's just the perfect word for it. It's yeah. one of a kind, and the word unique, you know, the people yep. toss it around, but really, as one of a kind, it is it is unique. Yep. You talked a minute ago about Jeannie and the five children mm-hmm. gathering and picking some of their favorite right. characters. Right. Do you recall what they were? Oh, gosh. Well, I can tell you Craig Schultz because he was – he was Snoopy, and he was the road, you know, the Joe Cool guy who, you know, rode and was always dirty, and he was the inspiration for Pigpen. So he picked out one of those. Amy, uh, his daughter, was considered a fuss budget, um, and technically there's this one strip where she was always getting in trouble because she was talking too much, and where they're sitting at the dinner table, and it's Linus and Lucy, and basically the the punchline is she's looking at her dad saying, am I buttering too loud for you? You know, and I guess Amy said that to him. So that one's up. Um, Jill, the youngest one, loved it when he called her. He called, used to call Jim, call her his sweet gem, and Peppermint Patty's dad would call her her sweet gem. Uh, Monty loved, of course, the Red Baron. That's his oldest son. They fought all the time over who thought up the Red Baron thing. And, you know, Schultz finally at the end of his life said, well, he did come in and talk to me about this, you know, this World War I flying, flying uh, machine and the Red Baron. So 
That's basic. And Jeannie loved the gardening ones because she made him garden with her. And that was really funny. Great stories about that. And she would call him her sweet baboo. So when Sally started calling Linus a sweet baboo, uh, she stopped calling him sweet baboo because he stole it and put it in the strip. Um <laughs> There was also ones where when their grandchildren, Jeannie was, is very athletic, and she would put her grandchildren on the back of uh, the bicycle and go off and run errands, and a little rerun is, on, is in the bike with his grandmother sometimes. So yes. they're very lovely. They're all very sweet and lovely. It's interesting that each one of them picked a character who reflected their personalities. Yep. Yes, they did, and I don't mean to say yep, that's disrespectful. Yes, but yes. you think about it, wouldn't any little guy, oh, look, there I am, that's my dad, that's what well, he said, you know. I don't know, when you, when you get to Pigpen, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, Craig's like that, he loves it. Oh, he's still got dirt he under his fingernails. That, his wife just laughs. I'm like, yep, Craig's always got oil, or he's working on a car, or riding yeah. a motorcycle or something, always still. So it really fits. Yeah, it does fit for him. You have Friday nights our special at the Schultz Museum. Talk to me about the Friday nights. What do you do then? Oh, you mean the new event we have where we, the brew and everything, the brew and breakfast that we're doing? Oh, oh I don't know. I'm looking at... Um, what are you looking at? I'm like, I'm what? I'm looking at tacos and tequila yes, and Yes, yes. Okay. That's our new, a new on, event. We're on the right page here. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. That's our new event. We just had breakfast and brews. That's what I'm saying. That was the last Friday night. Ah, okay. And it, it's, you know, like any museum, you're always looking to draw in a new audience. And... Uh, we, you know, every museum in the country is trying to draw on that 28-year-old to the 40-year-old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, like the Met, in, not the Met, but the MoMA in New York actually would have cocktail parties, which I thought was, oh, my God, so risky. But they'd have cocktail parties there. So we decided we were going to try and create that. And we had breakfast and brews come and have, I don't know, waffles at 6 o'clock and learn to, to draw. And it turned out great, but 125 people, which we don't want much more than that. And everybody had a good time. And next one is, I think, tacos and tequila, as you said. And I guess that one is really people are signing up for because who doesn't want tacos, you know, or tequila, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we do cartoon. We do have cartoonists there so they can learn to draw. We bring sofas in so they can sit and talk together and stuff. So uh, we felt good about this one last Friday. So we've, we'll see what happens. There's another three or four of them, I think, scheduled. Very casual. Really yes, very casual. Great. Yeah. Tell me about the children's programs. Well, yeah, they're wow. yeah, they're wonderful. I mean, as I said, we've got the education room where we will have school tours come through, which is great. So they learn to draw Snoopy in a character, and they learn about Mr. Schultz. Then we have our outreach outreach program, which you know hits uh, meets all the STEM qualifies in terms of science and. Uh, technology and I don't know, education, uh, the STEM, the STEM requirements of the education uh, department of our country, and so we do a lot of going out into schools, teaching cartooning, talking about how to cartoon, and talking about storytelling and stuff. So that's very, 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 very. We can't keep up with it. Then during the holidays, like everyone else, we have workshops for Christmas and the Easter break and summer break. So those camps go on, and they're like either two days or five days. And then we have something we call Peanuts Naturally, which is a traveling exhibition that's science-related about ecology and learning about the earth. And that's an all-day festival that our educators go out and do. So we're pretty busy, and we fit the birthday parties in there as much as we can, and we teach Lego animation and anything you can imagine. 
<laughs> How much does it cost to have a birthday party? I don't know. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I, I am embarrassed to tell you that I, I have to be honest and say I don't know. $75? I'm not sure. Okay, Honestly, well, that's, that's really okay because if you don't remember, it's not shocking. Well, it's right, shocking and the joke is, remember. I will be. I'm always on everybody's back because keep nine. I'm the director. It's like, how much money did you bring in this year? And I can't <laughs> tell you how much they're supposed to be charging. But I, I don't think you know. I know that it's within the standard of what a family pays in Sonoma mm-hmm. County. So I don't know anywhere from seventy-five to a hundred. I'm not sure. Yeah. For a kid's birthday party, and that that really is a very reasonable. Yeah, I think it's right around there. Yeah. Yeah, and for what they get, my goodness, I mean, it's not yeah. like a clown showing up, jumping up and down. Exactly. Up exactly. Leaving, they all know? leave with cartoons. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so, well, that's really good. Did I see along the way here? You've got so much on your website. Did I see along the way in? Uh, facility rentals, that there is a banquet opportunity for people? Well, what happens is we, Mrs. Schultz doesn't want to turn it into a public banquet area. You have to be a member or you have to be sponsored by a corporate member. And it's, our great hall is beautiful. And you can have a sit-down dinner or corporate dinner thanking your sponsors or thanking your new engineers or, you know, the new doctors, welcoming new doctors in town. We can do a sit-down dinner of about 100 people. And it's just lovely. It's a beautiful Beautiful space, and then if they want to, they can go into the theater if they have speakers, because we have a small theater off the Great Hall that has a hundred seats in it, so it makes it intimate, and you can do all kinds of presentations in there. But we don't try to do more than we don't do those every weekend. We don't want to be a banquet facility, but we certainly are available for special events, no doubt about it. We don't do weddings. A lot of museums are doing weddings. We don't do weddings. Yeah, we yeah we won't do that. I, I happen to support your decision on there. I'm not even going to ask why. This is it just, yeah, it, it, it's about his fans. We want the space and this museum to be about his fans. And that's not to say someone who didn't grow up and loves Snoopy and is going to have Snoopy incorporated sure. into their bouquet. It is, you know. But uh, we've had a lot of people call and say, I want to ask my you know, my partner, my love, whatever, to marry me today. And we've set up a lot of proposals outside, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's very cute. <laughs> I love that. That yeah. is great. You've got a Tokyo Museum. And we do. Yeah. We do. Talk about that for a minute. Well, this is in a partnership with Sony um, Creative, which is a subsidiary of Sonoma, Sonoma Music. And, mm-hmm. you know, Japan is loves Snoopy. They He is the character that they adore. And uh, they came to us about, oh, about five or six years ago and said, we'd like to do a Snoopy Museum Tokyo. And Mrs. Schultz, the thing I love about Mrs. Schultz is she's very clearly will not do anything that's commercial. It has to be related to Charles Schultz, the artist, at the heart of it, and that the characters have to be treated with respect and regard. And we found them to be magnificent partners. They have followed that philosophy. They built a beautiful museum absolutely stunningly gorgeous and their curation and their creativity in putting exhibits together has been top notch and so respectful of him and his characters and completely authentic again so yes it's been a joy and a delight in every way that considering there's a, an entire ocean and culture and language yeah. that separates the the two museums mm-hmm. it's, it's remarkable that they stayed with the spirit of what you and he wanted to establish. Yeah, it is. It has been joyous because it is so tastefully done. 
and and the products are beautifully created, but it has been tastefully done at the scale that's important for Mrs. Schultz, which is very important because she is very aware of scale. And when I say scale, the you know people can go overboard about everything. We don't go overboard. We stay true to him. His authenticity created these characters, which yes, created a language for our culture that all of us adore. Mm. But it's to scale, and that's lovely. I have one more question, and then sure. I'm going to ask you what I should have asked. Oh no, you have, please! You have yes. traveling exhibits. Yes, we do. Oh, do tell me. Well, we started those about ten years ago. The curator and the collection manager and I were talking about how do we get the message out to Middle America. You know, and we didn't want to charge a lot of money, and they were reproductions, so that was easy to do. So we we kind of you know put our toe in the water and said let's let's send out reproductions and have them be at an affordable price. So Butte, Montana, or some little town in South Carolina who has you know 20,000 people and they're next to a city that has 100,000, they could put it in their local regional museum because we know this is something that people define themselves by and it's a generational define grandpa wants to take his grandchildren an aunt wants to take her cousin a brother wants to take his sister so they can remember these memories so we started very small and and they were very successful and then we got called from japan to try and do a big exhibition in japan so we did that first before we built the museum and it was so beautifully curated and they had 383,000 people in eight weeks. It was just yeah. unbelievable. And so then we came back home, and we thought, okay, we're ready to send out, uh, you know, some more. We sent out Peanuts Naturally because we had that in our main gallery and realized ecology and science and how we save the world was important. So that went out as our next big one. We've just sent out, and then we sent out baseball to the Louisville Slugger Museum. So that one's been traveling. And uh, we sent out, we just sent out pigskins and peanuts, all about football. And then heartbreak was wonderful because that came out of another exhibit about, you know, love and, and all of the little redheaded girl and Lucy and everybody loves someone who doesn't love them and unrequited love. And that did quite well. And that went to the presidential library, uh, Clinton's presidential library. So it, we've, we are very successful and we feel very grateful and indebted to people that once again, it's the love that they have felt through their life and their family that brings them to these regional areas to see this great little great little exhibition of a slice of their life. So you have a whole new group of people who are being introduced. To Correct. People That's are right. Their kids and saying, "This is the Snoopy I grew up with." That's right. Isn't That's that what we hope for. Um, just a quickie about the Clinton Library. Mm -hmm. Is former President Clinton a Snoopy fan? Well, ironically that you would say that, we have a very sweet story about that. Uh, and we don't know the genesis, but in 1968, when Hillary Rodham was elected president of Wellesley College, she received a congratulations letter from Snoopy. And it starts with Susan King of Vassar, let me know that you've been elected, you know, student body president of Wellesley College. We don't know who Susan King is. We're, we think, we've been doing research, that's what we do in our research center. We think it might be some New York executive who was working with Sparky on Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, and it might be one of their nieces. We just don't know. But we, Snoopy does say, Susan King of Vassar told me that you were elected student body president. And for all of us who know, 
you know, she was at one of the Seven Sisters, and they were all women colleges, so it's not a big deal that a woman's elected study body president at Wellesley, you know. Yeah. But anyway, she was elected, and um, Snoopy basically says, congratulations, I guess you'll do a, I hope you do a good job. And he always signs his letters with his paw, of course. When Mr. Schultz got sick in 98 and 99, um, President Clinton and Mrs. Clinton were in the White House, and... Um, she wrote a letter to Mrs. Schultz saying, I think he had passed, I don't want to misrepresent this, saying, you know, I want to give you, I want to send you a copy of something that I have had with me for the last 40 years of my life and how much he meant to me. So she's the one who actually sent us a copy of that letter. And then when the president wrote to Mrs. Schultz, said, you know, I want you to know Hillary has had that letter in every office she's ever been in. It was been in the governor's office. It was in the White House. It's in Chappaquiddick now. So the fact is, you know, this wonderful relationship to this man who someone said, oh, you should send a note to this girl who really likes Snoopy, and she just was elected to Wellesley College. Isn't that sweet? Yes, that really is a sweet story. Genuine and sweet, just oh, that gosh. simple. I have one personal story, and then I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you what I should have asked Okay. About three years ago, my sister bought me a Snoopy doll for Christmas. Uh-huh. And it stands about, oh, I guess at least 20 inches tall. Oh, my goodness. And yes. I have him in my car as my co-pilot. I strap oh, that's him into his seatbelt, and he's my co-pilot. And, and you can drive in those fast lanes because there's two of you. That's true. Right? There, I never <laughs> thought of that. I never thought of that. What a great idea. But that's a California thing. We're always looking for ways to get in the fast lane. I did, <laughs> and I think in uh, a couple of other places as well. I didn't Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, the people in the toll booths love him. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's yeah. darling. That's a cute that's story. I love that. Fine. What do people ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, that's funny. Um some people, sometimes people say, did he always know he was going to be a cartoonist? He always knew he was going to be a cartoonist yes. from the time he was 13. Um, I think at times people will get very specific about the character they love, mm -hmm. you know, and they will ask a question, well, did Schroeder really do this, or why would uh, Linus have done that? So it's more specific to each individual who has a relationship to a character, which I love. You know, or that they yeah. read into something that they see. That's and good. that's okay. That's okay. You know, but um, I, it's more of that, the specifics of what that particular character meant to any individual. Yeah. Yeah. People will ask about uh, World War II because he was a World War II vet and, you know, and what that life experience was like for him. And it meant a lot to him. And it, like I think any man, unfortunately, who goes to war for their country, he said it really shaped him. You know, he went from yeah. being a boy to a man. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things we, <laughs> besides Snoopy and Winnie the Pooh, uh, we do talk a lot about World War II because we sure. are focused on old-time radio. Right, and right, yeah. And the height of old-time radio, the really premium shows started right, to right, emerge right. in the early 1940s. Right. So, you know, having 1940 touches in here is really quite special to me and to Walden. And to right. Well, he, you know, he was a man of that generation, and he was proud. 
very proud. He didn't see war because his mother had passed away right after he went through basic training, and the battalion that he was to ship out with, he had to stay back by two or three weeks because he had to deal with his mom's death. And then, coincidentally, he never made it to Normandy because that particular platoon did, but he was more on, and I don't want to be disrespectful because I don't know service that much, he was kind of more on the cleanup crew. He would go through Germany and France and Mm -hmm. help out and what's happened and, you know, clean up areas and stuff. He was right behind uh, the war, so to speak. And so he didn't see any action uh, particularly, but he had such regard for all of his peers who did. And what they all did as young men, all men of all nations did to save our world, and they really did. He was devoted to that the rest of his life. That's why he loved Carl Malden. I mean, uh, you know, Malden, the cartoonist, and it just it it defined him well yeah. uh, as people say i say to people this is how serious it was for him on his tombstone it says sergeant charles schultz wow yeah now that's that's a bit of information I yeah it curious. doesn't say charles schultz yeah. cartoonist charles Monroe. it says sergeant staff sergeant charles schultz oh, because okay. that's what he loved and actually we were just talking with talking about all of his awards and his Sharpshooter Award, and he had an opportunity to talk to Colin Powell about it at one time, and Ooh. they both talked about how they liked their Sharpshooter badge the most for whatever reason, yeah. and I can't tell you why, what that means, but the, the war and his serving and service meant the world to him. He had regard and respect for veterans the rest of his life because he was one, and he also knows know, knew that he did not see the worst of what could be, you know. I should have interjected this along the way, and I get so mm-hmm. interested in conversations. Yeah. We have been talking with Karen Johnson, who is the director of the Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research Center out in California. That's uh, right. You've, you've got El- uh, Walden out in California and a whole bunch of our listeners, too. But I'm here Great. in Florida. I'm holding down the East Coast. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I have just about run out of questions. Is there something you would like to share with people, uh, like membership? You have memberships? Well, we do have memberships, but I would say to people, yes, for all of you who remember Peanuts through a character or a storyline, come visit the museum and learn more about the artist, and it will, it will absolutely enrich your love for Peanuts. Wonderful. And you do have it a shall. website that I've been talking yep. about. It's Schultz Museum, S-C-H-U-L-Z Museum dot org, and you right. will have a great time up there. I mean, it's Absolutely, we can guarantee it. And you can go across the street and have lunch at the Warm Puppy and Ice Skate. Oh, wonderful. it's right across the street. And a wonderful gift shop. Don't forget, I always get Patricia something from the gift shop. Folks. Oh, all right, that's right. Yeah, they would be very upset with me not to mention <laughs> Snoopy's <laughs> Gift and Gallery. You're absolutely right. Stuff like that there. This has been fabulous. Karen, I am just so thankful that we had an opportunity to talk with you. Well, thank you, and I'm so glad, Walden, we got it all straight out. I I was worried. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be at home, but no, I can. Okay. So it all worked out well for all of us. Perfect, Karen. Well, I hope we can do this again someday. Sure, sure. You you are a delight, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you you. so very much. Have a great evening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let me call you right back, Patricia. Okay.
Welcome to Skype. Press JAWS key plus Alt tab. Skype through Alt tab. Sound Forge Pro. Esca escape. Enter. 0.6. Menu. File A. Leaving menus. Data window. Sound 2 star. Save as dialog. File name. Sound 2.wav. Edit. K-A-R-R-E-N-J-O-H-S-O-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-I-T-H-P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-5-1-5-1-8. F-R-S-T-P-C. Save as Save. Enter. Sound 2 star. Data window. 0.621 seconds.
The computer four minutes, not, computer. Four, four minutes thirty four minutes five minutes six minutes six seven minutes seven minutes eight minutes Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Per phone number, per phone nine minutes. Nine. Nine minutes fourteen point nine nine one seconds. Nine All minutes fifteen point seven four nine seconds. Nine minutes fifteen point seven four nine seconds. Enter. Nine minutes. Control shift delete. Zero. Enter. Alt page down. Escape. Alt tab. Sound forge. Zero point oh 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 seconds. Alt page down. Escape. All tab sound forge 0.090 seconds. Enter. All page down escape control shift delete 0.000 center. All page down escape. All tab sound forge 0.000 seconds. All tab Skype trademark. All tab Skype trademark. All tab Sound Forge Pro 11.0. Skype Joe Web is online. Sound for all tab Skype. All tab Skype. All tab Spotify. All tab Register. All tab Replay. All tab MP. All tab Sound Forge Pro 11.0. Data window. Karen Johnson interview with put enter. All page down escape. All tab Sound Forge 0.0. Alt page down escape. Alt page down escape. Alt tab sound forge. 0.352 seconds. Escape escape. 